Travel Squad podcast. We're four friends that grew up together in the same small town. We followed each other to San Diego, and now we adventure the world together. One passport stamp at a time. We're here to share our travel stories and inspire you to go on your own adventures. Even if it starts with your own backyard. I'm Jamal. Brittany. Kim. And I'm Dana. And And we're we're the Travel Squad podcast. So grab your ticket, your passport, and don't forget your travel insurance. And prepare for takeoff. Hello, fellow travelers. Hello. 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 Welcome to episode 31 of the Travel Squad podcast. Today, we are taking you with us to Lebanon. Lebanon 2020. We have been planning this trip for over three years, and we are finally here to talk about it. This was actually a 10-day trip, but in Lebanon, we only spent about five days. We added on Dubai, which is a whole other episode, and we'll talk all about that in a little bit. It's our next episode, actually. But I've been wanting to go to Lebanon ever since Jamal and I first started dating in 2007. So for the last 13 years, I've been eating Jamal's dad's authentic Lebanese cooking, and I've been dying to try authentic Lebanese food in the heart of Lebanon. Shawarma, falafel, baklava, fatouche. Mm, mm, mm. I love fatouche. Mm. So this is Jamal and I's motherland. In fact, the last place that I lived before moving to San Diego was actually Beirut, Lebanon. And Beirut is the capital of the country. So this trip for me was super bittersweet and really nostalgic because I've had some of my best younger years there partying throughout the city. And I did go to school there too. So good times. Was it on the path of nostalgia? It really was. It really was. was. It the warmth of the West Side? You know it. Stay tuned for next week's episode in Dubai and you'll get those references. <laughs> so you guys ready to talk about Lebanon? Yalla. Yalla. Yalla, just yalla, so baby. everyone knows, is hurry up or let's go in Arabic. So It really can mean anything. It, you it, want it can. It, it can. Hurry but up, those are the go, those across the street. Those are the main things that it's used for. So while we were there, definitely the squad was using key Lebanese phrases <laughs> and yalla being one of them. So Jamal, why don't you tell us about the current situation in Lebanon? Yeah, so we, as mentioned earlier by Kim, have been planning this trip for three years. We've been saying Lebanon 2020 for a very long time. And finally, in September of 2019, we had booked it. And literally two weeks after we had booked it, a little fiasco has gone down in the motherland for Zaina and I in Lebanon. They're currently having an economic crisis of sorts. Lebanon is one of the most heavily indebted countries in the world. They have a bond that's due in March. So by the time you're listening to it, the bond has been due and they don't really have the money to pay it. And it's really freaking out a lot of the residents of the country and they've all started to try to go and pull out their money from the banks because they're afraid there might be like an economic collapse and a run on the banks and a run on the banks if all of you aren't too familiar with american history during the great depression people wanted to get their money out of the bank 
the bank's money that they use of the depositors, you know, people like us was tied up in loans and other stuff. So they didn't have enough money to give people back out. And that's the situation now. So they've instituted what they call capital controls, where they only give $500 a month to the average citizen in terms of what they can actually pull out in physical cash. Now they could spend more money in terms of debit or like paying off, you know, via credit to somebody else. But in terms of pulling out physical cash in order to keep the banks propped up, they've limited that and it's causing economic unrest protests against the government and so a lot of stuff had been going on before we left that may have altered our trip where a lot of people were saying oh it's not safe and you shouldn't go but nonetheless we persisted and went to Lebanon and one thing to note Jamal was saying that like you can use debit and whatnot but you really like it's a cash society so they haven't gotten to the place where they're more debit and credit friendly. So that's why it's so hard. People like us in the United States rely on debit cards. They don't. From the U.S. Department of State, there is a travel advisory against Lebanon. There are four levels. Level one is, you know, you can go still. Level four is absolutely do not go. Do not go at all. Level three is reconsider the trip. And Lebanon is at a level three. So we were like, should we go? Should we not go? We were kind of watching the protests, seeing what was happening, because we did not want to essentially get stuck there. That was like our worry. But all was our worry was that we would get there and that we would be prevented from doing all of the touristic activities that we had planned. That's true. There's a lot of road closures. Yeah, because one thing I didn't say, I mean, I was talking about the situation and the protest, but one of the things that they're doing to protest the banks and the government beyond that is actually, you know, blocking roads to and from the airport or in and out of the city of Beirut. So if you want to leave the city and go do activities, whether you're a local there or a tourist that can be hindered based on the protests that are going on and the blocking of the roads. So we got some tips, tips, tips for you guys that we're going to get into. Tips, tips, tips. And like Zana said, she already brought this up, bring cash. You can't really bring your debit card or your credit card. A lot of places don't accept them now because of the economic crisis. We saw a lot of restaurants, a lot of merchants saying, we're not accepting credit card payment cash only. And They've actually, during the protests, have destroyed a lot of bank ATMs. So it would be really hard to pull out cash if you can't find an ATM to pull cash from. Yeah. And so when we're saying bring cash, you're thinking, well, what's their local currency? I'm coming with my home currency, whether it be the U.S. dollar or anything else. But let me tell you something. They want U.S. dollars over there. So if you have U.S. dollars, it'll spend as good as anything else. They don't care that it's not in local currency. So when we say bring cash, bring your U.S. dollars. If you aren't an American and don't have U.S. dollars, it'll be easier for you to trade it into dollars and use it there because that's their preferred default currency to use would be the dollar. And like Brittany said, the ATMs are some of them busted up. But on top of that, they put in what we talked about earlier, those capital controls. So even if you're coming with an American card, they're still really going to limit how much physical cash you can actually pull out yourself. So you want to have your currency on you. Mm -hmm. 1,500 Lebanese lira is equivalent to a dollar and it's exactly that. So if you go to a store and something costs $2, you can physically give them one US dollar and then 1,500 Lebanese lira and they will take that. Or, I mean, now they're not really giving US dollars back so much, but when I used to live there, they would give you a mixed change of American dollars and Lebanese lira. At the time now, 1,500, but there is a black market right now 
for it to increase to 2,000 Lebanese lira to equal $1. Another thing that you should know is that the traffic and the car driving is wild. They don't abide by lanes. They don't abide by lights. They'd somehow make it work. I didn't see a single accident there, but I don't know how we avoided them the whole time. It's wild. It's crazy. And I feel like streets aren't very well named or labeled. And so it's like, how do you know to turn down this street? Because... It looks like an alley to me. Great, great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, they've been driving on it their whole lives. So for us people coming as novices who haven't really driven there, like it's confusing. But to them, it's organized chaos that I guess they understand. <laughs> for me, I actually felt the last time I was there was 10 years ago in 2010. And I felt that there were some improvements because I know that there were certain intersections that didn't have stoplights. And they used to have an army guy in the middle of the road, kind of like on one of those things that a ringleader at a circus stands on. So they put put lights there and now the army guy doesn't sit there anymore so i'm like wow we have to tell the story of our cab driver that got out of the car to direct traffic this oh is this has to happen right now okay <laughs> tell it kim tell it okay kim. we're sitting in traffic it's a busy part of lebanon and beirut we've been sitting there for maybe five minutes maybe more no one's moving in either direction any direction cab driver's like i've had enough azim and he gets out of the car and he runs and he starts directing traffic he's like you you come this way boom boom boom. car start moving he's like you you stop stop okay now come come boom boom, boom. people start moving he's actually clearing the way and he starts running back. Boom, boom, boom. He jumps in the car and we actually have a way through and about. And it it was amazing. We wow. have a video of that. Wow. Yeah, he wow. jumped out of the car, cleared traffic to make way for us to get through because we were trying to make a left as everybody was seemingly to go right. And everyone who was on that perpendicular road still going that direction was just blocking our traffic. It was so, the most moves I had seen yeah, in he, 30 he minutes. He opened up the lane and mm-hmm. had done that. It was quite impressive, but... What the girls are saying, too, about, you know, just the traffic rules, even though, yes, you drive on the right side of the road, at the same time, there aren't really lanes to tell you, okay, this is all for this direction and this direction. So it just kind of makes it work. So they have a wide lane, but you don't really know what lane is what because there are no dividing like yellow lines to say this is the side of traffic but it works and we got through it we (laughs) got through it another thing to note is that they do have electricity cuts and so every single day most places have generators so you're good but they just for whatever reason they cut power for a specific amount of time and again i remember last time i was living there they would cut it 6 a.m to 9 a.m the next day would be 9 a.m to 12 the next day 12 to 3 the day following would be 3 to 6 and then it starts all over again and you were living there when uh this is 2010 but even while we were there we were at my cousin's house he let us stay at his house all by ourselves uh which thank you waleed for that and shout out waleed thank you waleed But we still had blackouts there. Now, he had a generator, which is something that I never had at the places that I rented. So you can turn it on. Not that we were at the house that much anyways, or that I was ever at my house anyways. But, you know, there are ways around it. But if you're staying at a hotel, you're going to be fine. Yeah, if you're staying at a hotel, you don't need to worry about the power cuts at all. But it is something to note because when if you are visiting someone or whatnot, you don't want to take the elevator because the last thing you want to do is get stuck. Yeah, that would be scary, especially if there wasn't a backup generator going. Yeah. 
I mean, we were even at the American University of Beirut, and at one point the power went out, and mm-hmm. that's a university. And what? It was maybe for no more than 30 seconds, and they got it back on, but just like constant blackouts. While we're talking on the subject of power, I just want to mention that it's important to bring an adapter for your plug. So in Lebanon, they use the European style or Middle Eastern style plugs. So make sure you bring that because they don't use U.S. plugs there. Check the weather before you go. It is on the Mediterranean. We went in January, which was really, really rainy. Everyone kept telling us that we should have come in March. And the summer is really intense humidity with high heat. So the mixture of the two, you're going to be sticky the entire time. September is a good time to go, I think. Yeah, they kept telling us March or September, March or September. Mm -hmm. And then all those tips aside, just know that if you go to Lebanon, you're going to have some of the most fun that you've ever had. This country knows how to park. No matter what's going on. Yeah, I just want to say too, before we really get into the meat of our trip and talking about it, as we mentioned, this was the first part of our trip. We did Lebanon and then Dubai. And most people, like our friends, were like, oh, when we came back, how was Dubai? How was Dubai? And not as impressive as Lebanon. And I don't say that as a biased opinion because my father's from Lebanon. Like Lebanon truly is uh, a lot more fun and Mm -hmm. cultural and had a really, really good time out there. Really friendly people too. Very hospitable. So to kick off our trip, we started with a flight from San Diego. We had to connect through London. And on this flight, we used our hack. If you guys don't know about this hack, we've talked about it before. If you send us a written five-star review, we will give you our hack on how to get upgraded for free. Or if there is no seats for upgrading, you will at least get treated like you were in first class. And that's exactly what we did on this trip. What did we get? Oh my God, we got so much. So started off at the check-in counter. She allowed us to board with first class passengers. She said, you know, I don't have the availability to upgrade you because the flight is booked, but you can board with the first boarding group. And that was just the beginning. What else? So it was nice because I've never boarded that far, like before everyone. So we had the entire section to ourselves. We didn't have to fight for space or anything. And then once everyone got on the plane, they brought us champagne. Once we were in the air, they brought us champagne. They brought us champagne to start off with in economy. (laughs) You know, if you're flying business class (laughs) or first class, you usually get that. But, you know, you don't get that in economy. And they specifically brought us a bottle of champagne from the front cabins in first class and business for us to have. And we had legit champagne glasses. Like this wasn't in the tiny plastic throwaway cup. These were in legit champagne glasses. Toiletry bags. These are first class toiletry bags. My God. It had an eye mask, socks, Toothbrush. Elemis collagen. Toothpaste. Face mask. Chapstick. It had everything. Face spray. Essential oils. Beautiful. All of the above. It was amazing. Socks. Well, then they brought us candy and then they came back and asked us if we wanted alcohol and then they brought it in. Like one, they had the good alcohol. Yes, they brought us the alcohol from the first class cabins. High end stuff. Oh, yeah. And they brought it in nice glass glasses. None of the plastic shit. I had a beautiful crystal etched glass. We had so (laughs) many fucking snacks, we couldn't even take them all. Yeah, seriously. Between the snacks and the stolen airplane blankets, we did not have enough room in our backpack. (laughs) And then the lead flight attendant, he also wrote us like a very nice thing you card he asked where we were going we told him that we were going to lebanon and dubai and he said oh you know i used to live in dubai that was one of my stationed areas and so he wrote us a very beautiful card that gave us a list of activities and advice on what he recommends for us to do so again shout out to al of british airways shout out to al so just because there was four of us all going together you know it was definitely hard to find the room to upgrade all of us but like i said if you 
don't get the upgrade, you at least get treated like royalty and first class, which makes the flight in economy so much better if there's not available space it's to upgrade. The so way to kick definitely off. do send in that five-star review, screenshot it, send it to us, let us see it, and we'll definitely give you that travel hack. So after we got off the flight from San Diego to London, we had a little bit of a layover and then we took a flight from London to Beirut. What was awesome about this flight was it was not full at all. So we sat in our original seats and then when the seatbelt sign turned off, we all went and claimed a row in the back and we each got our own row and we got to sleep for a few hours on the way to Beirut. That's what happens when you go to a country in economic crisis and out of the tourist season yeah flight's not full <laughs> so we had our own rows to sleep in which was really really nice i gotta say i'm pretty happy with british airways too the food on the airplane was pretty good service was great yeah yes, definitely good shout out to british airways had a really good flight experience all the way around so we flew out on a friday with the time change we landed saturday by the time we got through customs and everything it was around 10 p.m. We got picked up by Zayn and I's cousin, Walid, who allowed us to stay at his place, as we had mentioned earlier. So he picked us up. And the first thing that he did, even though it was late at night, you go to the Middle East. What do you want to do? You want to eat delicious Middle Eastern food. And he took us straight to Barbar, which is a famous restaurant in the Hamra area of Beirut for falafel and chicken shawarma. So good. Mm, it was so good, guys. And that was the beginning of the feasting for the next five days. I don't think we stopped feasting. I was really happy that we got to try chicken shawarma like 15 minutes after we landed at the airport. That was like, oh yeah. I know we just ate on British Airways flight, but I can always fit in some chicken shawarma. Mm -hmm. Then we went to sleep. It was late. We woke up the next day and we hit the ground running. What did we do? Jeta Grotto, Batara, and the Cedars. So we'll go over each of them one at a time. As mentioned, we were staying at Walid's, and for this part of the day, he was our driver. So the first thing we did, we woke up early and went to Jeta Grotto, which is a 30-minute drive north of Beirut, and it's very, very famous as a limestone cave, and they have an upper and a lower section. The upper section is walkable for you, so you can walk through, see the cave, see the stalagmites, stalactites, and the lower section is really interesting. That's where all the water accumulates, so you can actually take a little river cruise, if you will, within the cave in that area because of the water. And there's no walking space. You have to take a boat in that area. And for those of you who aren't going with family, who are chauffeuring them around, they do have buses and whatnot. So you can always take a bus there. It's about 11 miles north of Beirut. You can also get a Viator tour. We did not do that, but we did meet some girls who did do that tour. Yes. Yeah. So we got to Jetta Grotto at 9 a.m. And I would recommend it getting there right when it opens because we were the first people in the cave they literally opened the cave for us turned on all the lights yeah and straight up celebrity status walking in there and squad tip to know is you do have to put your cell phone which sucks in a locker they watch you put your phone in the locker they're they really give, strict they're really strict they give you the key and they say that there's absolutely no photos inside the cave by the way in hindsight, here's what I would do. 
put my phone in my jacket pocket and I would put my purse in the locker acting as if my phone was in it and I would put my phone in my jacket pocket because once you walk about the cave, you get to a certain point where no one's there, no one's looking and if you don't have the flash on, you're not hurting the cave and I would risk it because that cave is fucking gorgeous. But if you get caught, they'll take you to jail and cut off your hand. Oh. I'm uh, just Well, that's a risk. I'm that's kidding. a <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, man. I agree with that tip, Kim. That was a really, really good tip. You know, the last time I had been there, because I've done this before when we've gone on family vacations, and granted, it's been a long time, they didn't have that rule at all. So, And I do agree with the flash. You can hurt the natural environment, but if you don't have your flash on, then just be secretive and like, mm, do it. Did you guys love that Jamal and I were your cave tour guides for Jetta Grotto? I didn't know how proficient in caves you guys were. I'm pretty proficient in <laughs> caves. This is not the this is not the first cave I've been in. So I could tell you all the difference between stalagmites, stalactites, columns. curtains, draperies, columns. Yes, all of that stuff. Very so, intelligent. Yeah. So not my first cave, but you know, each time you walk into one, it's like you walk into it for the first time. It just Absolutely never ceases beautiful. to amaze you. They're so so beautiful. And so like Jamal said, the upper cave is where you can walk through and it's a self-guided tour. You finally hit an end where you can't go any farther. You have to turn back around the same way that you came in. And then don't forget to go down to the lower cave. You have to take a little tram down there. And then once you get there, there is a guy waiting on a boat for you. And you just load the little tiny boat. It probably seats no more than like eight people max at a time along with the little boat driver and here skilled ass driver too he was like sliding through those passageways like yeah i was like whoa we really have, tight we passages <laughs> so here kim actually did take her phone he let us take pictures when you got past a certain point that nobody could see yeah and he was, he was it's team. not allowed he was doing it in the hopes of getting tips so if they allow you to do it definitely be courteous and tip the driver for it because the they're not technically supposed to tell you you're allowed to take them. So if they do it, you know, they are working for the tip and just be a little courteous, maybe a dollar here, there. It's not going to be the end of the world. Then it'll definitely make their day. And those are actually the only photos we got of the caves when we were in the lower cave. And we were lucky that we even got to go in them because when it rains and it was raining that day, but when it rains, the water rises. And so sometimes you can't go through because it's not safe, but we were good. So just something to note if you do go in the winter. Yeah. You're always able to do the upper, but the lower cave potentially you may not be able to do yeah because when zana says the water rises you're on water in the cave so if the water rises so much you might not be able to sit up without hitting your head on the structures so all in all you'll probably spend about one or two hours there and then you'll move along to the next place which is another waterfall just down the road what's it called afka grotto beautiful right i didn't even know that we were going to do this waterfall. Well, Alid kind of just slipped that in. Yeah, he did. He he led us on so many surprises that day because we thought that we were just going to do X, Y, Z and he took us everywhere. So another big shout out to him. Yeah, because from Jeta Grotto, we were planning to go to Batara Gorge Waterfall, which is a very, very famous waterfall. It's in the mountain areas in North Lebanon and 
it's cutting through multiple layers of the limestone in like little rings. It, it's hard to describe, but if you Google it, it's absolutely amazing. And we wanted to go there. So along the way, we came across this other waterfall area. And so from the road, we stopped, we were able to walk up. They have stairs specifically made for it for you to get into there. And we just kind of enjoyed the scenery, being in a little cave with the waterfall on the outside, looking out, seeing the mountains, part of the snow. So, so, so beautiful. But that was nothing in comparison to the main thing that we wanted to do, which, as we said, was go to the Batara Gorge Waterfall. The so. waterfall drops about 255 meters, which is about 837 feet into the Balak pothole and you can hike down and we really wanted to hike down to it however our cousin said it would take about 20 minutes so that's 20 minutes going down and 20 minutes going up the thing about it was it was snowing so hard i think one of the biggest things that people have been surprised about lebanon when i tell them about our experience is that it snows yes it snows especially up in the mountains. it is a complete whiteout like there is so much snow so it was snowing and it was coming down so hard that we had to use our umbrellas because it was wait you didn't face. have an umbrella you had to borrow an umbrella. Oh, I used my cousin's umbrella, <laughs> but I had an umbrella nonetheless. But I mean, I don't even own an umbrella here in San Diego, let alone all the other three who brought umbrellas with three. them. <laughs> Good for you guys. <laughs> I own zero. <laughs> so uh, we used our umbrellas because the snow was coming down so hard. And because the snow was coming down so hard, all of us were getting wet. We weren't equipped for the snow because this wasn't what we were expecting. So we didn't go down because it was just too much. I mean, we Some knew of us didn't bring the proper footwear. I was going to say we knew there was going to be snow in the mountains. I just wasn't expecting it to be a full blown blizzard. And to the point about the waterfall, you see photos of it online and you see people like standing at the base of it. And I thought like, okay, when you get there, you're just at the base, but no, you're at a high elevation. And as Zaina said, you have to do the hike down. So what goes down must come up and it was freezing. It was like blizzard conditions. So we saw it from the elevated position, but we're like, okay, we're too cold to invest the 45, 50 minutes potential to like hike down and then hike back up. But even so it was still really, really beautiful to see. But I recommend to anybody if you go during the the spring or summer because the summer months in the mountains in lebanon are very very nice it's only in beirut where it's hot and humid definitely go do it you're gonna enjoy it even seeing the photos online just so so beautiful so after batara we wanted to go see the cedars of lebanon and lebanon's tree is the cedar it's right on their flag it's right their, on their flag. emblem is the lebanese cedar very famous mentioned in the bible numerous times and like we had already said it was blizzarding it was snowing the roads were white we're trying to drive through and jamal has walid's phone he's trying to direct us how to get to the cedars and at one point the roads had been plowed and we get to a point where the roads are no longer plowed. And Waleed's like, oh, do we keep going or do we not? And it's like full whiteout around us. It's funny because I don't think Waleed wanted to disappoint us, but all of us in the car were like, oh yeah, let's keep going. And he was like, we're fucking crazy. I don't think we should be out here. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a point where when we were on the cliff of a mountain and the road was no longer plowed, we were like, let's turn around and take a different route to get to the cedars. 
So we turn around, we get as close as we can to the cedars and we're outside this little home. And the guy's like, this is the closest you can get unless you plan on going snowshoeing. Which there was a tour there doing. Jamal spoke with the tour leader. <laughs> yeah, I saw a bus just parked out right by where we were parked. And I asked him and he said, oh, yeah. He's like, I have my tour. They're out hiking to the Cedars right now. They're snowshoeing because we were able to <laughs> see them. And usually there's a road that can get you to them from the main road. But it's not plowed during the winter. So the only way to get out there is really to hike it yourself. And clearly we weren't prepared to do that, but we were able to see them from a distance, which was really, really nice and just really iconic to be up there in those forests. And, you know, if you Google Lebanese cedar, you'll just really see how in the ancient world and in antiquity, those things were really reserved for special projects and just the nature of the wood itself was like really, really treasured. Where did Wally take us next? So from there, we drove to a monastery in Hamat with a very beautiful overlook of the coastal city of Batroun. So very beautiful lookout place. Yeah, it was up on the top of the hill. There was a monastery up there. I don't remember too much of the historical details of the monastery, but what was really nice about it is from going from the inland to the mountains right here in Hamat, we made our way back to the coast. We were still north of Beirut, but you were able to just see down into the Mediterranean Sea, some of the coastal cities up north, and it was just really, really beautiful to have an overlook of the Mediterranean. Yeah, and Walid had planned most of the day for us, like we had planned what we really wanted to do. He planned the little stops in between. But he said, essentially, we're leaving Beirut, going up into the mountains, and then we're going to come back down to Beirut on the coastal side. So this was us leaving the mountains and getting our first really good looks of coastal Beirut. So as Brittany was saying, you know, we started up in the mountains and Walid's plan was to work our way down the coast to Beirut, back to our home base. So as we left Hamat, we drove to the city of Batroun and he took us to a specific restaurant, Le Marine, where we had traditional Middle Eastern meza. And if you guys don't know what meza is, meza is almost like Spanish tapas where it's a bunch of appetizers that are out but they're all meant to be eaten as a meal. So we had some hummus, baba ganoush, tabbouleh, fatouche, kidbi, falafel, so a whole bunch of Middle Eastern staples but all as appetizers that everyone just kind of reaches in and shares and it was super nice sitting in the classical town of Batroun looking over the Mediterranean just right there 10 feet away from us and having a meal. It was so nice. Yeah, we had ocean views while we were sitting. And like we said earlier, we, while we were at that monastery in Hamat, we were looking over the coastal city of Batroun. And this is where we drove to next. But it was a really nice lunch. You know, I've had fatouche before, but while I was there, it really reopened my love for fatouche. Like we had it pretty much every day from there on out. Mm-hmm. And it opened Kim's love for fatouche. I love fatouche. It's one of my favorite Mediterranean dishes, but... This was probably the, our first like legit restaurant Lebanese meal one on of my, our first vacation and ooh, did not disappoint. One of my good Lebanese friends used to call me Marouche Fatouche. Because it rhymes? It rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it did not disappoint. And I just felt like Walid did all of the ordering for us, which was really great, but it just did not stop coming. Like we would finish something. He's like, oh, do you want more of that? No, no, no. We don't want more of that. We're good. And he's like, are you sure? 
food just kept coming and coming and coming. And since we didn't know, well, at least I didn't know what he ordered, it was just a surprise. And then after that, we decided to go get lemonade at Hilmi's around the corner. So even though we were stuffed, we thought, let's get more. Well, it was Waleed's idea to get that. <laughs> and it's a really, really famous Lebanese stand in the city of Batroun. So he wanted to take us there. Really fresh squeezed lemonade. Very, very good. So if you're in the area, it's definitely worth a try. But, you know, this day, the main highlights of things that we wanted to do was Jeta Grotto and the caves, the cedars, and Batata Gorge Waterfall. So those were the main highlights and everything else in between Walid squeezed in, which made it so, so amazing. Yeah. So the next day was Monday. And this was the day I was most excited for. Truly the only reason I went to Lebanon. Whoa. <laughs> only reason. To be honest, I love ruins. They get me going. I don't know if it's the only reason. I'm going to call you out on that. But one of the big reasons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we went to Baalbek and we booked this trip through Viator. It was a full day trip. And Baalbek is south of Beirut, but we were going not only to Baalbek, but to another place with ruins called Anjar. And at the very end of the day, we did stop at a winery to do some wine tasting. Yeah, so we ended up purchasing this tour to all three locations. Again, Baalbek, Kassara, which is the winery, and Anjar for $100 through Viator. And I recommend to anybody who is going to Lebanon to look for the tours through Viator if you're not as fortunate as us to have transportation because the places that we mentioned that we went in the previous day, they do have tours through Viator that go to those places. So definitely look and you can make sure to hit all the highlights. But for the $100, we went to all three locations. It included our entrance. It included a breakfast and lunch and our transportation pickup. So we got to choose a hotel that we said we were staying at where we got picked up. So in the morning, the first thing that we did was pick up some manaish, which is a traditional Lebanese and Middle Eastern breakfast. It's basically like flatbread pita bread that's toasted in a brick oven with, you know, some sesame seed and thyme or melted cheese on top. And I absolutely love that. So that's the first thing we did waking up before we got picked up was to go get a traditional breakfast mm-hmm. i got the sausage and cheese and ooh, it was delicious and so w- after we had breakfast or while we had breakfast we were staying like we mentioned before at waleed's apartment and so Bayader will pick you up from popular hotels so we just put in the closest hotel to us which was a radisson blue and we just across the street from waleed's right across the street, across the street. we walked in had breakfast while we were there and just waited for our little van to come pick us up so once they did pick us up the first stop that we made was for breakfast because i didn't realize that they were going to be feeding us kenefe but they gave us kenefe which is really a sweet sweet sugary breakfast with melted cheese Melted cheese with rose water syrup. It's a very famous Middle Eastern staple. Really good. But we got picked up from Beirut. We weren't the only ones on that tour. It was us four, the squad, and two other girls who were traveling solo. One girl from Germany and another one from Singapore. So we were all in the van together. It was six of us plus our tour guide. And to get to Baalbek, it's in the Baka Valley, which is Lebanon's fertile agricultural valley. So you have to get away from the coast through 
through the mountains and then down into the valley, which distance-wise isn't very far because Lebanon's a very, very small country. But with the roads, even though they do have main roads, traffic, et cetera, it takes a little bit of time. But within the hour of being in the car, we stopped at the breakfast place to have that kanafi. And from there, it was a maybe another 20, 25-minute drive to Anjar, which is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And we saw the ruins of Anjar. When you get to Anjar, you're going to see mountains all around. And on the other side of the mountains is Syria, because this is really close to the border there. So another thing to note is as we were getting closer to Anjar, you do see a lot of just really makeshift tents out there. And those are the Syrian refugees who started coming into Lebanon since 2010. So a lot of them have been there in that country for that long. And these are not homes. These are like makeshift tents. Where the gets, refugee camps. Yeah, refugee camps where it gets at um, probably, he said, like below zero sometimes in the winter. Well, they're talking in Celsius. So yeah. freezing like 32, 31 degrees. Yeah. So it's uh, Lebanon. It's, it's just a big melting pot of a whole bunch of different people. So we get to Anjar, and what I took away from it is was built for the caliphate as a palace city, and it's just one big, large pleasure palace, essentially. They have Roman baths. They have, like, structures for the women that they had living there to please the men, and they would stay in their own quarters, and the caliphate would come down, and he would rub his ear, and then that would be one woman's signal to go spend the night with him, and then the next night he would go and, I don't know, rub his eyebrow. And that would be another woman's signal to spend the night with him. A little ball scratch with another woman. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Who knows what the signals were. But no, Brittany mentioned the caliphate. What a caliphate is, it's the leader of an Islamic ruling city or culture. So Anjar was built in the 8th century. So we're talking in like in the year 700. So a really, really long time ago. And again, it was the pleasure palace for the caliphate of the time and really awesome old ruins and it was only recently discovered like in the 1930s and 40s because now Anjar and the city around it is a big Armenian population and so they found the ruins themselves and so they've still continuously been digging them up but they never really finished excavating the site because of the Lebanese civil war so they know what they know of it now but there's still so much more that's buried under there that they haven't like fully excavated but it's a unique UNESCO World Heritage Site and just so amazing to see those type of ruins. That is so cool. And when we were there, our, I was asking our tour guide, who made this? Is it the Romans? He's like, no, the Arabs. The Arabs took recycled materials from what the Romans had made and built this. And I was just like, wow, wow. It was crazy. beautiful. Like I could just imagine what it would look like if it hadn't been torn down and destroyed. Well, speaking of Roman ruins, after Anjar, we headed to Baalbek, which is a little bit more north and more inland away from the Syrian border. And Baalbek is another UNESCO World Heritage Site. But the cool thing about Baalbek is it has some of the most massive and best well-preserved Roman ruins in the world, let alone like outside of Rome itself, but just even in the world, some of the best preserved Roman ruins. As someone that's been to Rome and seen the Colosseum and walked amongst all of the ruins in Rome, this place was fucking amazing. It was just as cool as Rome, but no tourists. There was nobody there. 
Yeah, it was amazing because there was no one there. It was like we were having our own personal tour guide of the entire site to ourselves. Just a guy there trying to sell you a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> socks. And they, yeah, obviously, any tour site, they're going to have street vendors. So that's what Zane is referring to. A lot of street vendors trying to sell like silly miscellaneous things and whatnot. But it's just so cool. Like we said, some of the best preserved Roman ruins at Baalbek too. They have the largest stone in the world. And away from the old temple grounds that are still standing, they have an old quarry, you know, and a quarry is a stone yard where they carve the stones. And this is the largest stone ever carved in the world. And it's just still sitting right there. And you look at it and it looks huge, but then when you really see Massive. someone, yeah, and then when you really see someone stand next to it in comparison, you really realize like how huge it is. And that was the biggest, and they've done more excavation, and they realize there's another one lower to it that they've never like fully carved out of the limestone itself that's still sitting there. So it's crazy. During their excavation too, they also found out that this largest carved stone is inside of a graveyard. Like that's kind of creepy. But very creepy. It was cool to see. And that's one of the coolest things that I thought about Baalbek was Baalbek is a town. It is a city. And the ruins are underneath everything that the town is built on. It's not just in this one site that we went to see, which does have massive, very impressive ruins, but they're all throughout the town. And there would be lion's faces or little sarcophaguses that were put into the ruin site that were found in the city. And they're still there. They're not all dug up. Yeah, they were saying that there's a lot to still be discovered. Like some of it is underneath people's houses now as well. But when we were at the actual site of Baalbek, we explored two main temples and they were called the Temple of Bacchus and the Temple of Jupiter. Jamal loves Temple of Jupiter. I love Bacchus. Oh, I love the Temple of Jupiter. One, because what's left standing now is only six pillars and it's like the famous icon of Baalbek is the standing six pillars left of the temple of Jupiter but it is one of the most massive temples or Roman temples ever built so it still has its base foundation only the six columns now that are still standing but you think of how big it's going to be because then you see the temple of Bacchus which Kim really loved that's pretty much 100% still intact all the columns all the way around and it's massive and then when you realize that it's only like a third of the size of Jupiter you just think to yourself Jesus what did Jupiter look like when it was still standing Bacchus, wine and women. And orgies too, I thought, right? Orgies. Yeah, it was basically the Roman pleasure palace of the area was the Temple of Bacchus. Everywhere you look was like wine, orgies, like, okay, okay. And you really know it because if you look at the carvings and our tour guide pointed them out, they had a bunch of like grapes, glasses of wine, women topless that are like pouring wine. So it really was the Roman pleasure palace in the area. Romans were super into pleasure. Yes, they were. I mean, they didn't have the internet back then. (laughs) What else are you going to do? Do something with your time. (laughs) Pleasure and architecture, apparently. (laughs) Exactly. What was really impressive about the stones was, one, they are tons of, like, tons and tons. And it's like, how did they move all of these stones and get them perfectly into place? And they were also saying that they didn't, like, cement them down to each Mm -hmm. other that they're just stone on top of each other fitting in. And one example that they used was one of the temples. I think it was outside the temple of Bacchus. A pillar from the outside had fallen onto the main structure and moved a stone in the wall. And so they were saying like, you know, it didn't break. It didn't 
crumble or anything. The stone actually physically moved and you can see the movement on the inside of the Palace of Bacoss. And that was just showing us like they didn't use anything to stick the stone together. Yeah, it wasn't cemented in. You could almost imagine like a Jenga block tower. And it was like one of the blocks just kind of like pushed not all the way out, but just like a little bit, you know, and that's what it was. You know, one of the columns came over and pushed it and boop, you could see it on the inside, which was really, really cool. But after Baalbek, we made our way to a lunch that was provided with our tour. And the lunch was so, so good. We went to a restaurant called Lackey's Rest House, which was just a little bit outside of Baalbek. And from there, we had such an amazing lunch. What is this region known for? Lahmi Bajin. What does that mean? What is that? It's like um, meat pies. Yeah, they're famous for their meat pies. So it's almost like a meat pastry of sorts. So it's baked and, you know, with bread and meat in the center. So we definitely had that. That was on the table. They also brought out a lot of other appetizers like tabbouleh. And we were talking about kidbi earlier, but they brought out raw kidbi, which in Arabic is called kidbi nay. I tried it. Which Kim tried. I'm so shocked that you even tried like raw beef. I was so proud of Kim, but I knew what it was. As soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, this could be nay. But Kim didn't know (laughs) (laughs) what it was. And she was like totally going for it. And I was like, yeah, 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 you should try it. She totally tried it. it. When you're there, right? I was so proud of you. And the uh, the other girl. I threw it up. The German girl tried it. I tried it. She was like, she spit it out. And it's so funny because she didn't really speak that good of English, which I was just so proud of her for like, gosh, good for you. You know, you really only speak German and you're still a woman traveling by yourself, which is amazing. But uh, they did bring out like the cooked kibbe. And so when they that did, was bomb. yeah, she was so funny because she was like looking at me like, what is it? And then I pointed to the kibbe nave and then I was like final or whatever it was that I said. And she got that like, oh, OK, this is the before and this is the after. But no, it was so good. So beyond just the normal appetizers they brought out and what that region is famous for, for their meat pies, we had chicken shawarma on a plate with mounds of garlic sauce, french fries, like Lebanese coleslaw. It was so, so good. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Yeah, we arrived to the table and there was all of these apps on there. So it was like Mesa and we're filling up. And then finally, after we're done filling up, we get another plate, which is our meat plate, our chicken shawarma, everything. It's like, oh my God, how are we going to keep eating? But you find a way, you find a way to do it. Well, after Baalbek, we moved on from the restaurant there and we went to Casada, which is a famous winery and wine region of Lebanon. You were Wine excited tasting. about this, Kim. Oh, yeah. Not only did we get a Viator tour to Baalbek that had breakfast and lunch, but we got wine tasting with it. It's fucking amazing. Zaina loved it. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> under normal circumstances, yes, I would have loved it. But throughout the entire day, I was slowly feeling not good. And so by the time we got to Kassara, what, it was maybe like three, what, four o'clock or something like that? I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I was not feeling well at all. And you get three wines to taste. And by the time the second one came out, I was just like, I can't even. And you could just see it on my face, how like over everything I was. I don't think like I was irritable or mean. I think I had a freak out. Almost a freak out. I think you could just see it on my face. Let's Let's vote. How many people think Zana had a freak out and was irritable at this point? No. Three out of four of us. I know everyone our listeners can't see Zana. hands up, but hands are up. I looked at everyone. I said, I'm going to go to the bathroom because I was just 
not feel what did I how did I say you it? did and by the way the wine tasting was amazing but this place was awesome they had like a whole wine cave they took us through a tour through I've been in a couple wineries that have caves this was a massive cave very impressive cave it really went deep in there I think so they said barrels. something like they had like 15,000 barrels yeah, in there and it so it was huge. like corridor after corridor within the cave but all jokes over a million dollars or over a million bottles in there yeah, too. yeah, yeah. but all jokes aside on giving Zana shit about the freak out I mean we're giving her a hard time she really was starting to feel sick on the trip and start to have like strep throat so don't we worry understand. my freak coming up I know I know but we, we're <laughs> just giving Zana you know a hard time nonetheless but I don't realize that I'm getting Jamal sick had a freak out every day we haven't even discussed this Ooh. yet I don't know about a freak out every day I don't know what you guys are talking about but anyway when we were in the tunnels real quickly when we were in the tunnels touring the winery I did end up speaking to one of the guys in the tour with us he was an older gentleman from New York American and he looked at me and he said you know they told us we shouldn't really come but here we are and he mentioned how he's having a great time. So I just want to throw that out there. Go to Lebanon. It's a great time. The guy from New York said so too. Yes. Yeah, it was a great time. The caves were beautiful. They actually discovered them because there was a fox in the region that captured a chicken from someone that lived there around the area and it disappeared underground. And so they went to go find it because this fox kept capturing chickens and eating them. From a local farmer. From a local farmer. And they actually, that's how they discovered all of the caves and turned it into a winery. I think it was already a winery from the Roman era, but... Well, they... They had some monks there and there was a winery from them. So now they started to use it as a storage space, if I remember the story correctly, to, to store the barrels of wine. Yeah, it was impressive. So our tour came with three. Did they also use it to take safety? Well, they were talking about, I think, something during World War One. They stored some people and hid some people in there for safety. But I don't remember the full story, but you are correct. They did use the caves to hide people during World War One. That's crazy. So our tour came with three wine tastings, but she threw in a fourth wine tasting Because she for loved us, us. And it was a nice, sweet wine. It was good. And yeah. you know what? I gave mine to Kim because she never gives me shit about my freakouts. So. Until we're recording because she raised her hand if you forgot. She did. But then she said that like Zana didn't really have a freakout. I know. And I said you were sick. I gave you credit too. Say that. <laughs> <laughs> but so anyway, that pretty much concluded our tour that we purchased through Viator. Obviously, they took us back to Beirut, but what a deal for a hundred dollars. All the food that we got, the three sites that we got to go to, Anjar, Baldak, it included our entrance fees, the wine. But as soon as we got back into Beirut, our cousin Walid wanted to take us out to dinner, even though we had just had lunch a little bit ago. Well, one last thing I wanted to say about the winery before you moved on, Jamal, was that when you got to the winery, if you weren't satisfied with just the three wine tasting, there was an option to upgrade and pay the difference for more tastings because we got the amateur tasting, but they did have like two other tasting that offered higher quality wines for professional wine tasters for those more developed palates for the more developed palates more high-end wine and more <laughs> tastings than the three right i think yeah. it was like five tasting and better wine there was one that had like five and i think one that had six hey squatties we want to share one of our favorite travel products with you liquid iv is a category winning hydration brand fueling your well-being while traveling one stick fits into 16 ounces of water to give you three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks and hydrates you two times faster than water alone their half-ounce hydration multiplier powder packet is the one product you need in every suitcase, carry-on, and day pack. 
We use it while flying on planes because flights can be so dehydrating. We use it when we feel jet lagged, when we're out on a hike, and after a long night out that has us feeling worn out. In just one stick, you get five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. Liquid IV also now comes in 12 delicious and refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting. Our favorites are the lemon lime and tangerine with immune support. It's made with premium ingredients, all non-GMO and gluten, dairy, and soy-free. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use Travel Squad Podcast at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop better hydration today using promo code TRAVELSQUADPODCAST at liquidiv.com. Hey, squaddies. Let's take a quick detour to talk about our travel itineraries that we've created just for you. We just launched several new international trip itineraries, including Tulum and Japan. This is on top of the itineraries we already have for U.S. trips like the Hawaiian island of Kauai, the U.S. Virgin Islands, as well as national park trip itineraries, including Utah's Mighty Five National Parks and a week at Grand Teton and Yellowstone. These fully built out 20 to 30 page PDF guides are available for instant download on our site right now. Every detail of the trip is laid out for you, so all you have to do is download, book, show up, and have fun. The itineraries tell you where to fly into, the exact route to take, where to stay, park entrance prices, where to eat, driving distance between attractions, the things to see and do, even the hikes we recommend, their mileage, and the time to allot for each one, and believe it or not, so much more. Be sure to head over to TravelSquadPodcast.com to download your very own comprehensive travel itinerary today. So we get back to Beirut and we felt like we had been eating all day. We had the Manaish in the morning. Then we had the Kanafi at Lucky's. We, we had, had a bag the of cocky still with us. <laughs> yeah. We took cocky bread and we had that with us still too. And we get back to Beirut and Walid says to us, are you guys ready for dinner? We have reservations at 830. And we're like, and this is when what? I realized I will never go hungry in Lebanon. <laughs> <laughs> you never go hungry in Lebanon. If there's one thing the Lebanese are famous is for it's their food and hospitality Mm -hmm. and you know we experienced all of that so we had reservations and you know it's in the Lebanese culture to take care of guests number one but one thing we didn't mention was Walid was actually here in the states a week two weeks before we were even in Lebanon because he was out here on a business conference so we were taking care of him while he was here he was taking care of us while we were out there so it was just kind of like a mutual exchange but also part of culture so nonetheless we had some more uh, meza for dinner which absolutely amazing what was the restaurant called Tamarbuta. It was so good. And Walid did all of the ordering for us again. And gosh, the table did not go empty. Serious question. Did you guys like the Lebanese sausage or the Armenian sausage more? The Armenian sausage yeah. is better. Armenian. Ooh, yeah. The Armenian is uh, referred to or as the, the Sajout. nothing can compare to the italian beef but yeah the armenian (laughs) sausage is like referred to as seju and i love seju so much yeah so not only we did we have multiple types of sausage we had vine leaves we had hummus with meat kidby kofta potatoes oh my god their potatoes are so what are they called arabic word batatas batatas Batatas. we had fried (laughs) cheese rolls 
Ooh. Mm, we had so many good things. And then just to throw out, the restaurant was located in Hamra, which if you remember when we first got there and we went to Barbar, it's the same district. And so Hamra area is kind of like their Rodeo Drive. It definitely looks a little bit different, but that's their main shopping district there in Lebanon. And they have all of these cafes around. So we basically rolled out of there, like physically someone had to roll us out because we had been eating all day. We went home, went to sleep, and the next day we had a Beirut city tour planned with Jamal and Zena's cousin, Haisam. I love Haisam, you guys. Oh my God, he's so great. Shout out to Haisam. Yeah, so he wanted to take us specifically on a Beirut city tour. And as a matter of fact, you know, he has his normal profession. He works at one of the American schools out there in Beirut. But he's been charged sometimes when Americans come to be stationed and work out there that he takes them around, shows them the ropes. And so now he's gotten really accustomed to giving tours. And he's actually starting a business himself of giving tours of Lebanon, Beirut. So he gave us the works with a Beirut city tour. And even he knows though, his shit. Yes, it does. And even though it was a city tour, it mostly turned into an eating all day tour because the first thing he did was take us to breakfast. And where did he take us, ladies? He took us to Matham Al Susi. I almost didn't make it to this one because remember yesterday I was I wasn't feeling very well. Well, Nurse Brittany examined me and I had strep throat, which I haven't had since I was like 15 years old. So luckily I had antibiotics and I went with you guys, but I almost didn't make it because I was miserable. Let this be a learning lesson to you guys get Cipro which isn't just for traveler's diarrhea it is an antibiotic that can help you in many situations broad spectrum antibiotic I mean exactly I don't know what I would have done without it exactly I mean we all usually purchase traveler insurance when we go on a trip but in this case Dana would have had to go to a doctor get the prescription it would have wasted hours of her day but she already had the prescription with her Boom, boom, boom. She took it. She put her panties up and just kept on keeping on. (laughs) (laughs) You guys, I could barely swallow it when I woke up. And Kim can attest to the way that I sounded. My throat was so sore. It was so swollen. I could barely swallow. And then by the time I woke up the next day, I was like, oh my gosh, my throat's like at a two. I feel so much better. And we'd been in Lebanon for just a couple days. But when you travel, like you are susceptible to getting illnesses from the airport or the airplane or whatever. And it just it just happens. Mm -hmm. Because you're tired and your body just gets weaker so you're more prone to getting sickness but nonetheless let's get back to this yeah that's what i I was gonna say because he took us to how do you say it again zaina matam al susi fetti Yes, yeah, so mm. we had feti, which is a very mm-hmm. traditional and famous Lebanese breakfast. And before we get into describing what it is, the restaurant that we went to is actually really famous. It's featured on CNN's best breakfasts from around the world. And this one is ranked, obviously, as, you know, the best traditional, like, Lebanese breakfast. So out of all of, like, Lebanon, you know, this one is ranked number one as the best place to go. And with its ranking, it's not even expensive, very cost-effective and you know middle eastern prices not expensive at all and why don't you ladies tell us what fetti is it was so good that's what it is oh my gosh the only way that i can think to describe it is like almost like a chickpea porridge with yogurt sauce on top topped with pine nuts like a garlic yogurt of sorts and it has the pine nuts and then you almost forgot because why it gets the name fetti almost like fatouche with the crunched up 
pita bread. So it has the mm. toasted pita bread on top of it as well that's fried. Oh. So it gives it that texture crunch with the pine nuts and it has the seasoning. It is absolutely delicious. And we got a bowl each, which a bowl is enough to feed two, but I ate all of mine. And then on top of that, Hysam ordered us eggs with meat and a whole bunch of other dishes to have alongside our breakfast. He's so sweet. Kim asked the night before, do they have eggs? And so he made sure that we had eggs. <laughs> so hospitable. Thank you, Hysam. Thank you, Hysam. I don't even think when we woke up, we were hungry yet, but we sure did enjoy breakfast. Mm-hmm. So from there, first off, Hysam, he knows a lot of people. So he hired a taxi for us that day and they just kind of drove us around throughout Beirut. And so from there, we went to the American University of Beirut. I went there for my study abroad year and it's just a beautiful campus. There's an upper and lower campus and on the upper campus, it's right there on the Mediterranean too. So on upper campus, you get beautiful views of the Mediterranean Sea. Yeah, it was really nice. And we went there one because it does give you the good views, as Zaina said. Even though it's not a park, it's one of the largest parks in Beirut in terms of just like natural, like open landscape of trees, greenery, etc. Because Beirut truly is an urban sprawl. But they do have a large feral cat population. But even though oh, they're they were fe- so cute. yeah, even though they're feral, they're so used to all the international students that are there. And so they're really, really friendly. So they'll come up to you, want to be pet. And so even if you have no association to AUB. If you go to Lebanon or Beirut in particular, you should definitely go in, check it out. Really good views from up top of the Mediterranean. And it's just fun to stroll and see the cats, if you want to be honest. I know that sounds silly, but I find that to be fun, just playing with the cats. We had a good time. Depending on the situation, though, they might not let you in on campus. Exactly. We had a bit of a trouble getting on campus, but we were going to meet up with a professor. So a little trick you could probably use is to find a professor's name and just say you're going to go meet him on campus. (laughs) Maybe you'll get lucky, but truly we actually were going to go work. Yeah, we, truly we were going to go meet a professor, a family friend of ours who is really high up. Zaina went to school there. My dad actually taught there, went to school there himself, but we still have an association to someone who still teaches there and that's how we were able to get on. Usually you're able to get on, but with the current situation now, they're just being more uh, cautious on who they let on unless you're really a student. Going back to those cats though, remember the cat that only had one ear? It was so cute. It was I, wa- so cute. I wanted to take it Such home and pack it and bring it back here to San Diego. It had its little tongue sticking out the whole time. (laughs) Tongue out of his mouth with one ear just sitting there begging, pet me. And it got pet. Irresistible. It was so cute. But after seeing our family friend who is a professor there and just enjoying the beautiful campus of the American University, we also went to Pigeon Rocks or an Arabic you would call it Raushi. And it's a very famous rock formation on the coast in the Mediterranean Sea where these two rocks look like a pair of shorts and a foot just coming out of the water. And it's two structures. Yeah, so it's two structures, but it's all one because they're right by each other. But yes, two structures. And very recently they had the Red Bull cliff diving off of those rocks. So if you Google like Red Bull Beirut, you'll see the cliff diving off of those rocks and it'll just give you a little bit of perspective. But we went there because it's a famous landmark, gives you good views of the sea, but they also do have a cafe that is there that we went to, the Bay Rock Cafe, and we enjoyed some coffee and smoking some hookah while we were enjoying views of the Mediterranean. That was so much fun. In the sunshine. Yeah, the only day that we really had sunny in uh, Lebanon was the day that we did the Beirut City Tour, which was really, really nice. 
Yeah. Well, we did pack our umbrellas, but we didn't really have to use them much. And it was so nice to be outside in the sunshine on the Mediterranean, admiring the pigeon rocks and smoking hookah at Bay Rock Cafe with beautiful views. What did you think of pigeon rocks, Kim? I thought it was gorgeous. It reminded me of Thailand on a much smaller scale, but it was beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And I liked the place that we went to have coffee, which is right in front of it. We had the view of the rocks and the water and the hookah and the sunshine. It was a beautiful place, but we had outdoor seating and the chairs were pink and I really liked the vibe there. Beautiful. Love it. There are people around there that do do boat tours. And so Heisem at one point was talking with one of them about us going down. He said it was going to take 20 minutes, but we thought it might take a little bit more but just something to keep in mind that you can go in the water and do a boat tour around it yeah but we wanted to get to downtown Beirut because this is our first day even though we're in Lebanon staying in Beirut this is the first day we're really downtown exploring the city and Heisem wanted to give us a city tour what was really interesting was a lot of downtown was blocked because of the recent protests we had seen so we did go to the downtown areas but we would walk by shops that had been looted essentially where the window had been knocked down and like there was like a Puma store that the protesters had broken into and stolen all of the merchandise. And so in downtown Beirut, they had barbed wire along some of the downtown area to help keep people and protesters away from. Well, the barbed wire area was just a circle around the parliament building. So it's really keeping the lawmakers more so protected than anything else. And that's why they had that area. But the downtown Beirut area after the civil war that went from like 1975 to 1990 they spent a lot of money to rebuild the downtown area do it and the old like stone building structures that they had you know before the war like in the 1940s 50s to give it that really classical feel and it's turned into a very popular nightlife area with shops restaurants high-end boutiques but very recently because of the protests that started in October now they've barbed wired off some of the area those beautiful limestone buildings are now graffiti up with like anti-government sentiment some of the areas again looted so it's really crazy you know all the protests seem to be happening in that area and again you know at night during the day it's fine but it's like a big disparity going from one area where life is functionally normally and then you get to the downtown area and i don't want to describe it as a war zone but it's really like crazy in that area safe if you're not there during the protest but just really crazy disparity it's crazy to see because you say war zone and it's not a war zone but there are tons of military and like military vehicles and soldiers with guns like huge guns all around the area which in America you don't see as much in other countries sometimes you do but that was I mean it could seem alarming but they're more there for the people's safety which is a good sign and we actually had a scare like we were we weren't trying to be at this place at night but we were walking amongst it was very busy people everywhere it was starting to pick up and we were like oh maybe we should start moving along because the, they knew there was going to be another protest exact, there that night every night the protests were happening so we're like oh maybe we should start moving along like it's getting a little bit late and these children they were asking for money and then they flashed what appeared to be a gun and we were like oh my god like we're so scared like holy shit these fucking kids have a gun we're like oh my god what the fuck but it turns out it was a toy gun so everything was fine but it was like a little scary at first and we we're like oh my god oh my god oh my god yeah and we were even telling our cousin about it and he's like what this little kid he's like are you crazy he's like there's a member of the military right there he's not going to do anything he's a 
it's a toy gun. But, you know, them over there, I guess they're kind of used to those things where for people like us who aren't, it's a little bit more Which jarring to, to see. Which just goes to show you, like, we weren't, we didn't let the protest stop us from going, but we weren't stupid either. Like, we're not going to stay around where they're having protests. And, I mean, it did get violent every night, but we weren't trying to be a part of it. They do rally online to announce where the protest is going to be. So you ha- you you know what's going on. So that's fine. But the night that we arrived ended up being one of the most violent protests of all. And so at that point, the army started using tear gas. So the army downtown had their gas masks ready for later that night. And Heisen was saying that, you know, when he was talking with some of the military, you can just see how on edge they are because no one wants to go through that, right? They're the ones that have to break up all the protesters or whatnot, but they're ready to go. They're ready to rock. Because Heisen was talking to the military people simply because there is a huge clock tower that is there. A Rolex. Yes. And it is a Rolex huge clock tower inside where the parliament area is. And under normal circumstances, you can go in. But right now it's being barbed wired all the way around. And so he kept asking different people if there's any way that we can go in there, which there was not. What's crazy, though, is the barbed wire isn't like on top of a fence in most cases. It was like on the street level. Like there was one point where I was talking with Jamal and his back was to the barbed wire and he backed up a step and it was like, oh, shit, you could be cut. (laughs) But we did get to see from afar the Rolex watchtower. We also got to see some of the high end stores and we went by the I love Beirut sign. So we've been by the sign before in Amsterdam and it's been like super, super, super crowded. But when we were there in Beirut, we were the only people taking pictures next to the sign. Yeah. You know what I really think it is? I think it's a couple things. One, we're in Lebanon during the off season of travel time. Two, I think just with the protests right now, even normal tourism that would come in the off season really isn't there. And downtown Beirut is now like ground zero for the protests. So not a lot of people. People are really going there right now unless you're going there to be at night for the protests or you're a government worker working in the downtown buildings or some of the shops that are still open in the area. But what's really funny is like you hear in the news all these protests and we were thinking about it before we go. But if you're not in downtown and you're a couple blocks away in a different region, like life is functioning as normal. It's just really in those regions. So it was really kind of surreal to be in a capital's downtown, like real, real downtown, and just kind of be somewhat of a ghost town. It was surreal. It was eerie, but there's a lot of history in the downtown area, and they have Roman baths in there, Roman ruins even in the downtown area. All the buildings look very French. Yeah. One thing that we didn't mention is that they do have a huge mosque downtown as well, and this was built by our former Prime Minister Rafiq al-Hariri and he spent about 50 million of his own dollars he is a billionaire he spent about 50 million of his own money just to construct that mosque and I believe that's his final resting place because he was assassinated there in Beirut in 2005. So after we got to see what we could see of downtown Kim was on the brink of a freak out. A freak out. Kim had a freak out. I'm not even going to deny it because it's true. I was hangry. But it was a hangry freak out. I was hangry. I was about to eat someone's head. We had (laughs) breakfast, what, at 9.30, 10 o'clock? And by now it's like 4 o'clock. And and I'm so hungry. I'm like, I don't even care. Whatever it comes with. We're at the closest place. Just feed me. (laughs) 
I remember being like, in the holy car shit. She was in beast mode. We were on the way to the restaurant and someone asked Kim a question and she shook her head and she's like, I don't care. And the way that she said, I was like, whoa, Kim never gets mad. And Kim is like, whoa, she's having a freak out, man. Yeah, because we were trying to figure out where we wanted to go. Hyson wanted to take us someplace in particular, you know, based on what we said we wanted to eat. But at that point, we just decided to go to one of the three options that was closest because Kim was on the verge of her hangry freak out. So we went to Kababji. I think Hyson was scared. He was like, let's just find the closest restaurant. <laughs> Maybe. But we, we ended up going to Kababji, which is a famous shawarma place. And we had uh, really good. shish tawuk, which tell us what that is, Aina. Shish tawuk is me. Meat wrapped in pita bread. So it's almost like a shawarma, but not like more like kebab style meat. I think if there's a difference between they do like shawarma versus shishtawu, the way that they cook the chicken. Shish kebab. Makes sense. There you go. Really traditional Middle Eastern food. We got it all. So this, I would say it was probably at like 4 p.m. We're eating lunch and we briefly go back to our apartment which is Waleed's apartment before we end up meeting up with Zena's friend Layla who she's known for a long time for an 8:30 dinner that's common time for dinner 8:30 8:30 and Lebanon yeah. it is it really is i mean i remember coming to Lebanon once and I was talking with Layla on Facebook Messenger and she's like, wait, you're here? And I was like, yeah, I just got here. And she's like, oh, okay, me and my husband are going to come pick you up. And it was like 11 o'clock at night. And then we went out for like this big feast that night. Like it's just so standard to eat late, I feel like. So where did we go with Layla? We went to M. Sharif Cafe, which is in the Zaytuna Bay. The Zaytuna Bay is more of a newer area. When I left Lebanon, they were still under construction and it's just a new area right there on the Mediterranean. Yeah, it's like a little region shop area that they've built right by the harbor where all the rich people dock their yachts. So hence the bay in Zaytuna Bay. Mm -hmm. So surprise, surprise, we had Meza for dinner. And it was delicious. It was so good. Falafel. It was really, it was really good. But considering all the Middle Eastern food that we had been eating, one thing in particular was a standout this night. And Mm. why don't you ladies tell us about it? The dessert. We had ghazal ilbanet, which literally means the girl's hair. So it's, but it's not hair. It's not no, hair. it's not hair at all. So it's inside is a really thick, creamy, delicious, delicious. ice cream. And surrounding it is like a nest of this cotton candy. And then it's topped with typically pistachios and crystallized rose petals. Crystallized Ooh. rose petals. So it's very beautiful as well. And I had never heard of this, never had it before. And my God, did it impress. And it was big enough to where it fed all four of us, five for Layla and six for her friend Rola. So uh, just major shout out to Layla, you guys. I've known her for like over 15 years and uh, she's a really good friend. She's the sweetest. Yeah, she's great. We all just needed a few bites each because we were stuffed from dinner still. Stuffed from lunch still, probably. Stuffed from all of our days in Lebanon thus far. (laughs) (laughs) So from there, we went out with Leila and Rula to the Jamezi district. That used to be kind of where you would go to party. But over the past few years, it's kind of moved to the Mar Mechiel area. So either one, you're going to find bars. But this is the night that the new government was announced. 
announced. So a lot of people were afraid of going out. So when we were driving down the, the street there in Jamezi, most of the places were closed. So Layla had a few places in mind like, oh, let's go here. Let's go here for drinks. But they're all dead because no one wanted to go out. So finally, we settled on Paloma. And this is supposed to be a party area. They were saying how under normal circumstances, you're like sitting on top of people because it's so packed. But it was pretty much empty. Yeah, there wasn't very many people there. But good drinks. And Jamal was starting to have a freak out by the end of this night. I wasn't starting to have a freak out. I just wasn't uh-huh. start. I wasn't feeling well in general. And as Zaina said, this was the night that the new government was announced. And what we mean by that is, as we said, they were having government protests against the establishment. So the people called for a new government to help solve the problem. So they dismantled the old one and they announced the new one. And the new one was nothing but the old one. (laughs) So (laughs) people were pissed and we were right by the downtown area and it could have spilled into that region because we were like one block two blocks away from where the protests were happening but outside of it but like i said i was just for whatever reason really full from all the food tired starting to feel sick so i wouldn't call it a freak out it's just Uh it was like 12 o'clock at night and i was uh ready to rock so i will say this on this lebanon trip i got the least amount of sleep i've ever gotten on any vacation i've gone on Every single night. Every single time I got into the car, I fell asleep, even if it was two minutes. (laughs) Like we were up every night or out till like 11, 12. And then we each needed a shower and then get up early in the morning. And all of our days started super early. So we got like four hours of sleep max every single day. I really felt 30 on this trip because I kept asking for more sleep. (laughs) And I have never done that before. So the next day is Wednesday and it is our last full day in Lebanon. And we had plans to wake up first thing in the morning and go to Biblos. Jamal didn't want to go to Biblos. Jamal had been shit talking Biblos the entire entire time. Well, truly the plan wasn't Biblos technically at this point. It was to go to Harissa, which we'll talk about what that is in just a second. But the plan was to go with Hysam, and he was going to take us, give us a tour, potentially go to Biblos as well. But he was going to take us by hiring a taxi because he's really good friends with the taxi driver and the taxi companies. And, you know, you could rent the car for the day. But because the night before they announced the new government, they had some road closures. No taxi companies or drivers were willing to drive and fear that they would get stuck or the roads would be closed. So Walid said, you know what? I'll play hooky from work today. Let's just try our luck and see if we could get there because the road that we took was one of the ones that was closed. And we thought like we'll either go the long way around it or we'll park our car where it's closed and take a taxi from there. So we were trying to risk it. Well, we'd have to walk. We were sitting around the kitchen table having manaish for breakfast. So fucking good. And talking about, okay, it's about 12 miles to Biblos. How long does it take us to walk a mile? Like 30 minutes. Okay. That's six hours. We're like, okay, it'll take us six hours. I'm like, okay, I think we could do this, guys. Easy day, easy day. I think we could do this. And Jamal's like, no, 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 no. But it did work out with Wally taking us and there were no road closures, but we were legit about to walk there. There was a road closure, but then it was forced open by military force. And right when it opened and it came on the news, Waleed was like, let's go, guys, let's go. Go, 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 go. He got his car and we jam packed in and went to Biblos. Well, 
on the way there though, remember? Because it was 100% for Harissa, but not 100% for Biblos. So we got to the place where it was a fork in the road. And Waleed was like, come on guys, I need to just, are we going to do Biblos or not? And uh-huh. we're like, yes, yes, yes. And Jamal's still trying to say, no, no, no. So uh, basically the girls won and we went to Biblos. Would remember Brittany that, Jamal? want something? No, I don't remember Jamal. that. Don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so we made our way to Biblos, which locally it's known as Jbeil, and it's about 22 miles north of Beirut, and again, another UNESCO heritage site. That's what I love Beautiful. about Lebanon. Such a small country and so many UNESCO sites. So much history. And I mean, like, we're Middle East. This is where Jesus is from, you know? Yes. Jesus Christ. This is where uh, <laughs> human beings originated, for that matter. Didn't if you the wanna... Bible get its name from Biblos? Biblos is one of the origins of the name Bible. Yes. Wow. Yes, yes. So Biblos was first occupied between the years 8,800 to 7,000. Thousand BC, and they know for sure that it's been continuously inhabited since 5000 BC, making it one of the oldest continuously inhabited cities in the world. In the world, and as a matter of fact, the oldest seaport in the world is in Byblos. That's still being used today. Yes, it's crazy. Still used today. Oldest and most continuously used port. We don't get that kind of history in California. No, we don't. Or in the United States at all. We have a California Railroad Museum. Yeah, I guess we do. <laughs> From the 1800s. Bubble Park. But, but you know what's really interesting, though, about Byblos is the ruins that are there. Because the original inhabitants of the area are called the Phoenicians. And they have the original ruins there. And then another ancient culture, I believe it was the Greeks, they built on top top of that and then after the greeks it was the romans so it's this one city with ruins after ruins built on top from different you know cultures and origins which is so so interesting it was really cool because you actually could see the layers in the ruins it's like wow 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 this is so old crazy and so we went into the citadel and the ruins and you can just explore the whole area and then there was stairs after stairs to get to like this top area that had a great outlook to the mediterranean and then and you can go down and explore the grounds and see like their old amphitheater and there was like a bird watching box and there was old train tracks that went through the area as well. It was just really cool to go out and explore the grounds and it was pretty affordable. For example, Jamal and Zaina, they asked like the guy at the front, hey, if we tell them what we're Lebanese, do you think we can get in for a cheaper price? And for the Lebanese, it's only 5,000 lira. And again, 1,500 lira is $1. So it's not very much to get in for americans it was eight thousand lira well not for americans for non-lebanese let's put it that way well they did have a sign that lebanese are the five thousand but waleed was saying that like okay we'll just do one lebanese and four non-lebanese and i was like no no no, jamal and i are fine you know and so he told him and he's like yeah okay fine (laughs) so we got three three lebanese two foreigners (laughs) but we really are we really that's true I am at heart. Part of the family, Kim. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so what did we do after we explored Biblos? Where did we head to next? Harissa. Harissa. Wait, wait, real quickly though. So Jamal, for someone who really didn't want to go to Biblos, can you let our listeners know what did you think? I enjoyed my time very much. 
<laughs> he loved Biblos. I enjoyed my time very much. As a matter of fact, it's really nice because up in that area, again, you see the ruins. It's right along the water, which is also really pretty. You could almost feel like you're in Greece a little bit, you know, on the Mediterranean with those type of ruins. But I feel like in Byblos, that's the clearest and bluest water I had seen on the entire trip was in that area. So it made it extra nice. I think Jamal also kept saying, what is there to do in Byblos? And really, you could spend hours there just exploring the ruins. There's also tons of shops along the alleyways and streetways. Tons of shops for like magnets and little knickknacks. Souvenirs. Did you know that later Jamal told me Byblos was his favorite thing and place we went in Lebanon? Nuh-uh, really? Fucking serious. No, she's joking. He doesn't want to admit it. No, don't, Brittany. That's not true. Literally, the whole time he was like cock blocking us on Biblos. I was, no, it's not because I didn't (laughs) want to go. I thought there was other stuff that we could do in Beirut that was different. I didn't want to run the risk of getting caught up there with the road closures, but we're past that. We went, we had a good time. After that, we made our way to Juni and Harissa. Now, just so you guys are familiar, Juni is a little bit north of Beirut, not too far north. And that's the city at the bottom of the hill. Harissa is the city at the top of the hill. And they have a cable car that goes from Juni to Harissa. But the main attraction beyond the view from the top is they do have a Virgin Mary statue that's called Our Lady of Lebanon. And they have a big Catholic church at the top. It's very famous because Pope John Paul II has actually been there and given service and mass at that location, but it just gives you an amazing view from the top of the mountain down to the Mediterranean. You could see Beirut. You can see the city of Juni below. So, so beautiful. Let's talk about the cable car. It is, first of all, it is a long cable car. It's 1,570 meters long. So there was five of us, Jamal and Walid got into one cable car and the girls got into the other but let's hear your experience in the cable car kim i mostly held it together until it started going more vertical and then i was really freaked out well i thought it was kind of not funny but funny that us three are in the cars so you can only fit like x amount of people in the cars so we decided like four to, people and yeah. they're made in the 50s yeah they're old and so we were like okay we'll divide ourselves by sexes so the girls went first and you're already high up because it's like on the second floor and then you cross the street with the cable car and then once you cross the street then you ascend at about an 80 percent incline and after we crossed the street kim thought it was over and i'm like oh no no kim look look up look up and then she like realizes oh my god we're about to go up practically vertical uh-huh. to the top of a mountain Mini panic attack it's, it's like this it's is tron in shanghai disney and i'm freaking the fuck out <laughs> So Zaina and Kim are freaking out in the cable car. It's just, you know, like I was a little nervous, but I wasn't freaked out. But I was really enjoying the beautiful views of the Mediterranean. And then we make it to the top of the cable cars. But this is not the top. We quickly learn that. So from Mm -hmm. here, you can either take an elevator to Harissa or you can do the walking path. And of course, it was an easy day. So we took the walking path to the top and then once you get to Harissa you get to a beautiful balcony and they call it the balcony of Lebanon and I think Walid said you can see like two-thirds of Lebanon standing at that balcony looking out because you can see the north and the south what you can't really see is like the inland valley of Lebanon Lebanon is about the size of Delaware yes Yes, that is very correct. small. Yeah, not very big at all. It is 9,000 lira for adults to get to the top round trip. 
and then 11000 on the weekends. So very affordable, very cheap. Remember we were talking about blackouts? It has been known to happen there too, but they've got a generator and they just get it back up. I've ridden it twice and I've so never um, ever had a power outage there. So The one thing you know. I do want to say is you can take the cable cars to the top. It's not the only way to get to the top. Again, a normal city is at the top, so there are roads. So if you're taking a taxi or other type of transportation, you can get there by road but the scenic and enjoyable thing to do is to take the cable cars all the way to the top and it's definitely really really nice again you see the statue of the virgin mary i would equate it to their version of christ the redeemer just like cristo blanco in peru it's another one that we've all been to kind of as the squad very very nice and just amazing amazing views from the top we say cable car there they call it teleferique so if you're looking for the station it's the teleferique station another thing to know about the our lady of lebanon is that it's a sacred place so you should keep your voice low people are there praying they're there bringing flowers it's a very holy place they have music playing you're not supposed to take pictures you're supposed to be very respectful there. Yeah, and there are stairs on the Lady of Lebanon. So you walk up the walking path to the balcony where it is Harissa and then where that statue is, there is like a spiral staircase to the top to elevate your view even more. And one last little thing I want to throw out is Mondays, they are closed during the winter. And by it being closed, we're referring to the cable car itself. If you still want to make it to the top, you can make the drive. So after Harissa, Walid had one thing in particular that he wanted to do and this was on our way back into Beirut we stopped at a restaurant called Mano and this is in the Armenian district or suburb a little bit north of Beirut and he wanted to take us here because they have a classical twist on a Middle Eastern favorite shawarma and again this is the Armenian district so they have sajuk shawarma which is their Armenian sausage but they make it as if it's a shawarma sandwich so instead of beef, lamb, or chicken, it's the Armenian sausage. And it was really, really good. Definitely worth the visit. And beyond Mono there, I just want to say, if you do go to Beirut, want to do some shopping, this is the cheapest area to buy lots of stuff in the Armenian district. It's called Burj Hamad. Fake designer handbags. And I felt from like the minute we stepped into Mono, from there on out, we were just on a food tour of Lebanon. And we're going to have an episode upcoming on international foods. And specifically, we'll be featuring Middle Eastern foods in one of these episodes. Because we could literally go on forever there. There's so many good things to eat. Yeah. So after the shajuk shawarma, we then had falafel. We tried two different falafel places right next to each other that were oh, yeah. owned by brothers. We went out for a baklava. Yeah. So the falafel and baklava and all the sweets. So after mono, which Walid took us to, we ended up re-hooking back up with our cousin Haisam. So Haisam is the one who took us to the falafel places, the baklava and sweet shop. And the falafel place that we went to was really famous because they were two brothers that owned a restaurant and had a fight. And now they have their own restaurants right next to each other with the same <laughs> family name, but they're two separate restaurants and they have slightly different falafel recipes. So we did that and that was really cool to do. We got a ton of baklava. By a ton, I mean we got three full bags of baklava for the last night we were there. It wasn't just baklava. It's like cakes and candies 
yeah it and was a full kilos of a- yeah every tray was half a kilo a kilo is 2.2 pounds so we almost got like what three pounds of sweets I really connected with Heisem during this food tour. (laughs) I'm glad that you did. I'm glad that you did. And so we ended our night in Beirut with just at a family dinner. Again, we're going to talk about all of the food we ate in another episode. But that is pretty much what we did before Thursday flying out to Dubai. Is there anything else that anyone wants to add in? Any last final thoughts? Um, no, not necessarily about Lebanon. I mean, it was just an amazing place and such a different kind of culture that you don't get to experience in the US. So I absolutely loved it. I absolutely loved the wonderful airport lounge that we got to stay in. That was amazing. And it was like the best way to kick off our next leg of the trip, which was in Dubai. Yeah. The last thing that I want to say is there's always a lot of negative connotation about the Middle East saying it's unsafe to go to. And, you know, rightfully so for certain places places. And a lot more recently has been talked about Lebanon just because of the protests and the economic situation. And, you know, I use this as an example. We've mentioned it before in other episodes about Mexico and you hear, oh, it's unsafe, this, that, and the other. Well, I just want to tell you, you know, Lebanon is definitely a very safe country to go to. Now, can things potentially get worse over there and that change? Yes. But with the travel warnings that the State Department's issued now, even though we have family and it made it easier, if you don't and want to go to Lebanon, believe me, you're going to have a good time. I promise you, if you just Google Lebanon travel and read blogs that you can find about it, everybody is going to have nothing but nice things to say about Lebanon. And I try to say that without a biased opinion of being Lebanese. That's really the truth. I loved all the nature that we saw in Lebanon. Nature really gets me going and Lebanon did not disappoint (laughs) at all from their coastal city views to their mountains to their waterfalls. I just had a really good time out in nature. One thing I did want to mention is people in Lebanon speak English. So I I knew this before because Jamal and Zaina are Lebanese. Jamal's dad first spoke Arabic, then he learned French, then he learned English. English and French, and that is taught as their third language. So I knew that most people in Lebanon speak English. Yeah, most people are educated to be trilingual. So it's not uncommon. And if people don't know English, they just probably don't know it well because they're not practiced, but they know enough. Most people definitely know English. Lebanon is a really underrated country that's often overlooked. Meet one Lebanese and tell me that they're boring. You, you, You just can't. Not at God, all. the people are so good there. So nice. All right. Well, that's all we have for you this week. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you so much for tuning in to our episode this week. To keep the adventures going, please be sure to follow us on Instagram at Travel Squad Podcast and tag us in all of the adventures that you're doing. And of course, send us in your questions of the week. If you found the information in this episode to be useful or you thought we were just plain funny, please share it with a friend that would enjoy it too. Please subscribe, rate and review our podcast and tune in every Travel Tuesday for new episodes. Make sure to keep your bags packed and don't forget your passport because next week we're just taking a short flight over to Dubai. 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 Woo. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.